The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. God, King of all the earth, Father, I ask you to come and move in power in this broadcast today. I ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that we could understand, that we could hear, 
that we could know what your will is. That, Lord, we would not be so smart, so self-assured, that judgment flows from our hearts. Almighty God, would you give us humble hearts as we hear this word today from the scriptures? Lord, stop us in the midst of our busyness long enough to hear what you would have to say to us. Lord, come draw close. In your mighty power, come and draw close. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I recognize as I come to this broadcast of Pilgrim's Progress. And by the way, I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I recognize there is such anger and bitterness in the world. There is such an urgency to be right, to be treated the way I demand to be treated, to be respected, It rises up in all of our hearts. The call of God. The call of God is to humble our hearts before him. To give up all of the self-interest. To allow him room to work. I used to hear this story my dad would tell about the little boy who brought his broken toy to his daddy and said, Daddy, Daddy, I broke my toy. Could you fix it for me? And Daddy reaches down and takes the toy and he begins to do the repair. And the little boy gets very impatient and he grabs it out of Daddy's hands and he says, Oh, I can fix it, Daddy. I can fix it. And of course, what he does is he breaks it even more. And the toy is no good. What are you grabbing at today that you're going to try to fix? But in fact, you're going to make it much worse. In the scriptures, particularly John 17, Jesus is praying, and he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It's interesting. It does not say, Make them smart by the truth. Your word is truth doesn't say make them right by the truth your word is truth no it says sanctify them set them apart utterly cleanse them of themselves some of you are so smart and you actually are smart and some of you are so well argued 
that you believe you're right. But are you holy? The question is not right or wrong. The question is holy or unholy. The question is not dumb or smart. The question is holy or unholy. So Jesus prays for his disciples and for us. For it says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I've believed in Jesus through the message of the apostles. And he says, As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. But many of you today are much too smart to let Jesus send you into the world. You're much too right in your own opinion to allow Jesus to send you into the world. I've struggled with this all my life. The highest goal of my life for many years was to be right. I finally concluded that I was so right, I was wrong. Now my goal is not to be right. It's not to be smart. My goal is to be made into a new man that is sanctified through and through by the blood of our precious Lord and Savior Jesus. Now that informs me and and teaches me that I need to talk with people in a way that I don't sound like I'm altogether and right and they're wrong. And I keep messing up on that. I keep doing it the wrong way. So I continue to pray and wait for Jesus to make an adjustment, to scrub out the old and to replace it with the new. And he's doing it. He's making me into a new man. I praise his name. Now, in John 17, it becomes very clear. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. It's very clear he's saying, look, I want you, Father, please. Would you bring together the people you've given to me and my heart, for I want to be with them. And yesterday I shared with you always the heart of God has been, I want to be with my people. I want to be with my disciples. I want to be with those who are made holy. He loves us. And he wants to be with us. In the book of Romans, in the fourth chapter. Romans, the fourth chapter. Verse 17, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, he is our Father in the sight of God, in whom, we, in whom he believed. 
the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. We are serving a God whose arm is not too short. He can bring us together, and he will. Jesus is even now preparing a place for us in heaven. And the day is coming when we will join him there, and we will walk with him. We will be family. He is our brother. He's spoken of in different ways in the scripture, our brother. But he's also spoken of as the groom. And we are the bride. There is an intimacy that Jesus wants with us. And that intimacy is blocked by our selfish determination to be smart, to be right to be argumentative, to be defensive. Now, if we look at chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying to you today in the context of John the 17th chapter, the prayer of Jesus. The Apostle Paul is now going to open for us the way by which we can enter into that intimate fellowship with Jesus. Now, I don't need to say this to you, you know it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus is so wonderful. He is so merciful. He is so kind. And yet he is also a very stern judge. So on one hand, we have great fear of the judgments of Jesus. And on the other hand, we have a great attraction to our heart because we've never been loved. We've never been loved like Jesus loves us. So there's that sweet sour. The sweetness of the love of God and the sourness of facing his judgments and facing his discipline, facing his his punishing us for wrongdoing in a good way, but a very painful way, a painful way that will produce a harvest of righteousness. So we come to this sixth chapter. Of course, in the King James Version, it says, therefore. Anytime I read a therefore or what shall we say then? Well, what has just been said? The law was added so that trespasses might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are so many lies about grace. There are so many misunderstandings about grace, about what grace is and what grace is not. Let me just say some very quick words. 
Grace is never a blanket to cover your sin. Grace is always the exposing of our sin and the mercy of God as he comes in his might and power and destroys that sin as we confess it and repent of it and give it to him. It is the purpose of God to restore us, to make us new as before Adam fell. It is the purpose of God to bring us into a relationship with him that is clean and pure and holy, partaking in his righteousness. So Paul asks the question, well, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Well, the increase in grace here is not in order to cover your sin. The increase in grace is to bring additional pressure upon you to change, to submit, to surrender. He's saying, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That is the question. We have been saved by Jesus Christ, by faith in his precious atoning blood. Salvation is always by faith and faith alone. But after having said that, what am I saved from? And what am I saved to? I'm saved from sin, and I'm saved to righteousness. And there is this this conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to us that says, I've got to get right with God. I know I'm not right with him. I know I'm playing games. I know I'm unclean. Occasionally I'll talk with a person, however, who doesn't know any of that. What do I mean? Well, let me give you an example. A young man made a decision that he would not come to church one Sunday because he wanted to go snow skiing. And he said to me, Pastor, I'm not going to be there Sunday because I want to go skiing. I said, Is that what the Lord has told you to do? Well, yes, I believe it is. Okay, I'm saying nothing more. But let's look at it. Why didn't he go skiing on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday? Well, the answer is because he had to work. Oh, wait a minute. So skiing is a leisure activity that I engage in on my day off of work. So likewise, coming to the house of the Lord is leisure activity when I'm off work. You see what he's saying. He's saying, my God is work. My God is money. But I have leisure time. I have time off. And I don't mind coming to church because I enjoy singing and I enjoy the Bible study and I enjoy the fellowship. 
So part of my leisure time, I'm going to use to go to church. Wrong. Coming to church is not leisure time activity. Coming to church is meeting with the almighty God of heaven and his people. Coming to church is recognizing that I'm in the presence of Almighty God with my brothers and sisters, and I'm there to receive instruction on the journey, evaluation, analysis on my journey to heaven. And it's the most essential part of anything I could do for the whole week. So take your leisure time on another day. Oh, but pastor, that would cost me money. Well, if you take your leisure time on Sunday, it's going to cost you your life because you're not going to be prepared to enter into the kingdom of heaven and the judgment will fall upon you. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, I'm covered by grace. I'm saved. I don't need to go to church. What? You've totally missed what the gospel teaches. It's the most serious thing you can do. To gather with a body of people in the name of Jesus Christ. You're going to spend eternity with these people. You're going to be taught by these people. And you're going to teach these people. You're going to share your talents and gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. You're not going to be tossed here and there on every wind of false doctrine. You're not going to be always running here and there, chasing after some illusion or delusion. I know people who simply made a decision, I'm not going to church anymore. It's just entertainment. It's the wrong church. It's a false church. Find a real one. And go. And be faithful. And understand that this is very serious. So, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And in the Greek, this is the strongest possible way to say absolutely no no why would I want to sin we died to sin he says how can we live in it any longer or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We have been brought into fellowship with Jesus Christ if we have surrendered our life to him. And we are now, we are now to live a new life. 
Not the same old life. Not the life of being smart and argumentative, of being right. Not the life of leisure and pleasure. Not the life of going wherever I choose and doing whatever I want to do. That was the sin of of Eve and of Adam. They wanted to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. They wanted to make their own choices and their own decisions about what was right and what was wrong. So, if we've been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now let's become very practical and very definitive in our understanding of what he is saying when he talks about we've been crucified with Christ. Literally, it means that I have chosen to confess before God all sin, hiding nothing. It means, secondly, that I have confessed and then repented I have turned away from them I have turned to Jesus and I've said Jesus I'm yours I belong to you I give up all ownership of myself my money my ambition my time I give up everything to you Jesus and now I wait upon you for direction And I will do exactly as you instruct me from the word. From those who have walked for many years in Jesus. But especially I will walk by the word of scripture. And the rhema word. That is breathed into me by the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit said to me. Just recently. Days ago feels like days ago it was actually a a week or so ago no more self-concern no more self-concern well if i am crucified with christ all of the old sin i'm finished with it the alcohol the tobacco the uncleanness, whatever it is in your life, you're finished with it. He's very clear. We have to live a new life. We were baptized into Christ Jesus. We are now dead and we live a new life. The problem comes that, yes, 
I have in my life walked away from all known sin. I'm not walking in anything that's wrong that I'm aware of. But then comes the inner work, the second touch of God, the second work of grace as John Wesley spoke of it. And that's where that inner work is completed and I am sanctified through and through. This word to me, no self-interest, was so piercing to my heart and continues to be. For now, I'm having to ask of wherever I go, whatever I do, I have to ask, am I doing this out of self-interest or am I doing this out of a serious interest in Jesus Christ? So now every word I speak, every action I take, has to be carefully examined before the Lord. And right now I'm very restrained in what I say and what I do and where I go. Because I'm going through this process with the Holy Spirit where he is checking, examining everything I do and say. My life is not my own. My life belongs to Jesus. He will not share his life with me. He insists instead that I be crucified with him that I be dead to the things of the world, the flesh and the devil, that I walk clean before him with no self-interest. Jesus had no self-interest while he was walking on the face of this earth. His interest was always for the benefit of others. He walked clean. Paul continues in the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. Now, if we died with Christ, that's verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Again, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin. The word is inventory yourself. Take a careful look at your actions and your motives and are they unclean are they self-serving is your interest in what you are about to do for the good of others or is it for you is the money you're about to spend for the good of the kingdom of God, or is it for you? 
Now, give you an example. My shoes that I love to wear have a hole in the bottom. So when I walk in them in the rain, my feet get wet. And I've been praying and asking Jesus, would you have me buy a new pair of shoes? And there was no answer. And I was waiting to see if, okay, should I just go ahead and buy a new pair of shoes? It's not selfish to want to keep your feet dry. I prayed. And then the Lord just put a strong prompting in my heart. Go today and buy that pair of shoes. So I did. And in my heart was absolute clarity that I had done it at the command of the Holy Spirit, not for me, but to care for the body that he has me live in that is the body that also indwell by the Holy Spirit. So what I'm speaking about is not legalism. It's not living as a tramp or a a homeless person. It's literally walking in every decision, asking Jesus, listening for his answer, acting as he directs. So I wore my new pair of shoes this morning as I went out, and I thanked Jesus for them, and I rejoiced in them. Because you see, I don't take things for granted anymore. I don't take for granted clothing or food. I know they all come from the hand of Jesus. So in my life, I come to do this radio broadcast. I'm clear that I'm directed by the Holy Spirit to be here and to speak this straight, honest word to you and ask you, have you made that ultimate decision to belong to Jesus Christ? And are you willing to submit to his word to your heart? Are you willing not to have Jesus as a part of your leisure activity, but at the very heart and center of who you are and what you do? Do you love him enough? to let him have total sway over your life. I meet so many people who say, I don't want anybody to be my boss. I'm the boss of my life. This is my body. It's my time. It's my money. I'm going to do with it what I want to do with it. Yes, you can do that for a time until your body dies and you face the judgment bar of God. And then what are you going to say to him? How are you going to respond when he casts you into hell?
The scripture tells us that many will respond with gnashing of teeth, ah, tears, wailing. I don't want to be in that place. I will not be in that place. Some of you say, but pastor, I can't help it. I just sin. Oh, wait. Didn't Paul and Corinthians say you will not be tested beyond what you are able to bear? There is no excuse for any sin. Anyone who says everybody sins all the time and they can't help themselves, they are speaking about people who are not born again in Jesus. If you say, I can't help myself, I just sin. You're either calling God a liar, because he says you will not be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, or you've never been born from above. You're still a pagan at heart. You're doing all kinds of religious things, but you're still a pagan. You've never been born from above. You've never never been brought into the family of God. So Paul is saying, look, the old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that is, utterly destroyed. Now the NIV has a little note that says rendered powerless, but actually in the Greek, the word is utterly destroyed. And then he goes on. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Could I ask, please, does death have mastery over you? Does death have mastery over you? Or have you gained the victory in Jesus Christ? Verse 11, In the same way count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. The Apostle Paul is saying, Look, if you sin, it's your choice. It's not because you have to sin. It's your choice to sin. Now, if you feel that you have no choice but to drink because you're an alcoholic, if you feel you have no choice but to be sexually immoral because you're addicted to sex, if you think that you cannot put down those cigarettes because you are addicted to them, you can't stop lying because you know you're just a liar, if you know you can't turn away from bitterness and rage and anger because it fills your heart and consumes you, then you are telling me that you have never been crucified with Christ. Let's be very clear on this point. The church is filled today with people who claim to be Christians, but their behavior, their love of the entertainment of the world, their love of darkness tells me very quickly they have not been born from above because they don't love the things of God. Oh, they love the things of the church. But they walk in sin. This one man chewing tobacco in church And I stopped him. And I said, brother, 
Are you chewing tobacco? There was a wad in his jaw. He sheepishly said yes. I said, brother, you're sinning against God. And you're doing it boldly in his house. He said, well, pastor, I've tried and tried to get rid of it. But it has a hold on me. I said, brother, it's not the tobacco that has a hold on you. It's sin. You're lost. You're hellbound. Even while you're here in the church. And he said, well, pastor, what's the difference between my chewing this tobacco and my pastor smoking his cigars? I was stopped. What should I say? The pastor would say he has a very wonderful friendship with Jesus. He would say that they are best friends. But here he is, polluting the temple of his body, where indwells supposedly the Holy Spirit. In that filth. It's not going to work that way. Every time thereafter when I saw this man, I asked, can I pray for you? Yes. And so I would pray for him, lift him up before the Lord, and say, Lord, would you put hatred in this brother's heart for his jaw? Would you make him hate it and see its filth? And then we began to talk about other areas of his life where, yes, he was still walking in sin. Yes, he was still walking in that area of sin and this area of sin. But, oh, he was saved and on his way to heaven, utterly deceived. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master. You're not under law. You're under grace. Not under a covering, but under grace that exposes and teaches you how to say no to ungodliness. So I ask today, where are you in this process? Are you still filled with with all of self-interest? Or have you put away your self-interest? This is such a serious issue. Self-interest brings defensiveness, pride, anger, malice. He's wrong. Look what he did to me. I don't deserve that. Part of what the Lord has been causing me to do 
is when I am wronged, when I'm spoken sharply to, or people are angry with me, to listen to them very carefully and then respond with, how can I serve you? What would you like me to do that would be helpful to you? I could rise up and defend myself. And to be honest, I've done that. And it's broken my heart. Because I know that's not what Jesus wants. I know that Jesus wants me to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. I know Jesus wants all self-interest to be erased from my heart. That instead of being concerned about my welfare, I'm to be concerned about others' welfare. How can I be helpful? How can I serve you? How can I love you as Jesus loved you? This sixth chapter of the book of Romans just cuts me to the core. Because it identifies that behavior in my heart that I have surrendered to Jesus that has caused me so much pain in my past. I no longer go out and try to convince people that I'm right. I'll speak the straight, honest, loving word of God and if it's not received, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to leave it in Jesus' hands. Now, some of you may be very offended by what I've said today. But it's been the straight word of God. And I have no self-interest in sharing this with you. I share this with you because Jesus Christ loves you. And he wants to totally change you and make you into a new creature. He wants you to be shaped in such a manner that you would be a joy to his heart. I want to bring joy to the heart of Jesus. What shall we what shall we say? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means, absolutely no. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as a slave, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. That's the question. What are you a slave to? And if you say, oh, pastor, I'm not a slave to anybody or anything. Are you a slave to yourself? Are you a slave to your passions? 
to your desires. Are you a slave to serving your own self-interest? Or are you a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ prepared to lay down your life to serve another person, to walk with another person, ministering to their bruises and their brokenness? What is your situation today? Be honest. What is the condition of your heart? Have you made that ultimate commitment to belong to Jesus and now have you put off all self-interest or does that still rule your life? Today you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. The joy of coming to the broadcast and also the pain of coming to this broadcast is that I don't know who you are. No, I know some of you because you send financial resources to help cover the cost of this broadcast. And I treasure you and I pray for you by name. I lift your letter before the throne of God. I ask for the blessing of Jesus upon you. The joy of coming is to know Jesus. And to serve him. I'd like to hear from you if you'd like to write. The address is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. I know who you are as you respond to these broadcasts. I just want to tell you I pray for all of you, even those that I don't know. I pray for all of you. And I pray God's blessing today for you. <laughs> oh Lord, I pray your blessing now for each person listening. I pray that you will move in their hearts in such a manner that they will know you. That they will begin to carefully inventory their hearts and any area of self-interest that yet remains, that you would remove it. That any necessity in their heart to be right or to be smart, that you would remove it. That instead you would put in their heart to be holy, set apart for you, to serve others, to love others. Lord, pride is self-interest. Accusations and judgments are self-interest. I ask, Lord, that you would take all of that from each person's heart who is listening. 
Lord, you are so magnificent. You are so glorious and wonderful. I praise and worship you today. Lord, I wait upon you to hear your word, to be given instruction and direction from the scriptures. I search after you with all of my heart. For heaven is my home. I'm an alien and a stranger in this land. Lord, I look forward with eagerness and with anticipation to be with you for eternity. Lord, come quickly. Deliver your people today, Jesus. Give them victory as they cry out before you, as they pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, if there's one thing I'd like to say to you, it is, please read your scriptures. Read the Bible. Read Romans 5 and 6, 7 and 8. Prepare for the other broadcasts that will be coming. But read the Word. Spend much time every day reading the Word. And the Holy Spirit will lead you and will speak with you. The Scriptures are a mirror being lifted up before your face. Read the Word. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of God.